Blog Talk Radio. and this week's live broadcast of The Way of Healing. My name is Susan Brozak, and I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the topic of how to walk through grief. So it's been said that grief is just love with nowhere to go. And there's really a lot of truth to this statement. The topic of grief and everything that it entails can be difficult to discuss, but what's all the more challenging is trying to walk through it and navigate the different aspects of it after a profound loss. So during tonight's broadcast of The Way of Healing, I'll be sharing with you a biblical perspective on grief as a result of death and other losses, as well as how to apply the comfort and hope of God's word if you are in a season of grief at this point in your life. You'll find that this broadcast is rich with scripture verses and biblical passages that speak directly to grief and also to the grace and constant presence of our Lord Jesus Christ as we navigate through the deepest points of pain. So if you've lost someone or someone, something close to you, I acknowledge you, I'm sorry, I encourage you to reach out to the Lord and to let him to minister to your hurting heart tonight as you listen to this broadcast. So just kind of be open to how he would move in your heart, what he would say to you, what he would highlight as you're going through uh, processing grief. And or if you know someone who is, then this broadcast can also be a help um, for you to direct them to it or to share what you've learned with them. I think it's very difficult to find anyone who can't relate to the topic of grief and loss in some form or another. So I pray that God's words would be spoken tonight and that this would be used mightily for his glory and to bring comfort to those who are in the middle of a situation that's causing them pain of grief. So Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that to everything there is a season of time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to keep and a time to cast away. And grief is a natural, healthy, self-corrective process that enables you to recover from a terrible emotional wound or a loss. So there's an English hymn writer, his name is William Cowper, and he states that grief is itself 
medicine. That might seem a little strange to hear, but as we go deeper tonight, I'll unpack what that statement means in terms of your emotional health. Likewise, an awareness of the different phases of the grieving process can help you cope with the feelings that occur as time passes. Grief is a deep and intense mental and emotional suffering caused by loss. In addition to the death of a loved one, and even though that will be the focus of tonight's uh, broadcast, grief can also be caused by many other types of deep loss. Pretty much anything that we value highly, whether that be our health, a personal relationship, sometimes material possessions, our job, and so forth. Even the sense of loss experienced at times of transition, such as, a gra- such as graduating from college, moving to a new town, or retiring from a job can be causes of grief. However, grief is universally and most deeply experienced following the death of a loved one. Some have likened grief to a journey across a stormy lake A loved one's death launches us into a tempest of emotions. We're surrounded by darkness and heavy waves of anguish, and comforting words are drowned out by the howling winds of sorrow. Loneliness and hopelessness feel like our companions as we navigate towards a new stage in life. Enduring and emerging from grief is a voyage that can take the griever through various passages along the way to emotional stability and wholeness. Most experts describe grief as a process with phases that every griever passes through at some point or another. These phases will vary in duration and makeup for each individual, and they may be called by various names or characterizations or terms. Also, I find it really important to po- uh, point out that grief is not a linear process. It's not uh, a trajectory that moves neatly from point A to point C. It is a lot of back and forth. Um, there's a lot of fluidity with grief. There are moments where you may have think you've crossed or turned a corner in a certain aspect of grief only to find yourself right back there the next day. So just an encouragement that if you are in the process of grief right now, that you don't put pressure on yourself to think you have to achieve or hit mile markers or anything along those lines in order to be moving forward in what you might perceive to be the correct way. There is no correct way to grieve. Certainly there are phases of grief that we all must go through and eventually come to acceptance. But don't get bogged down in worrying about whether you're grieving properly or not just because you might be back and forth for months or even longer in certain aspects of grief. As I said, one day you can be feeling pretty good, and the next day you can wake up and feel like it's hitting you fresh all over again. So just keeping that in mind as an encouragement to not judge your own grief. So the first stage or phase, if we want to characterize it that way, is usually referred to as initial shock 
or denial. Those terms are sometimes used interchangeably um, in, in the field that I'm in. So this is characterized by sometimes numbness, um, a sense of unreality, a feeling that you're watching a movie that will come to an end, so kind of a disconnect from the actual um, occurrence of the loss, and this, this false sense that everything will be okay. Now, although it, in the end it will, it may take a long time to get there, but with shock and denial, it's almost like this sense of this is just temporary, it's going to pass, a few hours I'm going to feel better, this didn't really happen. Those are signs that you're in the phase of shock and um, denial, and that actually is the first phase of grief for almost everyone because when we hit a devastating loss, our body immediately goes into self-protection mode in terms of our mind, and we want to uh, push away that reality, and that is the process of denying that reality, and that leaves us in a state or, uh, of shock or um, leads us into a state of shock where we're not able to process everything at once because it's actually a protective way for our bodies and our mind to make it through a loss. Um, so the next stage, typically, um, after shock and denial, um, is anger. And as the facts of the loss take hold, as you begin to accept or, or um, understand that this is real, deep sorrow can start to set in. And that's usually accompanied by crying, weeping, and other forms of emotional release. And sometimes that can include anger or even rage. Loneliness and depression can also occur in this phase. Despair can occur in this phase. Anxiety can even um, occur in this phase as your thoughts might go to what life would look like without this loved one in it. So this is a phase that's very emotionally charged. Um, there'll be a whole range of emotions that'll be occurring in this, this second phase um, as the, the depth of the loss takes hold of you. Um, also in this phase, I, I briefly mentioned anger, but anger is typically brought on in this phase by feelings of abandonment and helplessness. So you might feel abandoned after the loss of this loved one, even though it's not, uh, they aren't to blame uh, for the loss necessarily. Um, it's uh, in certain cases, such as someone who has committed suicide, that is a choice that they've made. But nonetheless, the feeling of abandonment after a deep loss and, and uh, of a loved one can be profound. Um, so this sense of helplessness and anger might be directed towards the one who has died or departed. Um, it might be directed or projected onto family and friends, or maybe the doctors that were overseeing this person's care if the person was, in fact, um, under a physician's care during the time of, uh, prior to the time of death. And this can even be directed at God. And we've, we've talked in previous broadcasts, if you've listened to um, the past six years where we've been doing the way of healing, um, feeling angry towards God is not in and of itself wrong. 
It's a matter of what you do with that anger and how long you stay there concerned. So feeling angry at God for the passing of a loved one is very common, actually, but you don't want to stay there because God is the one who's going to help you through it, and God did not cause the person to pass away. We can look all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and we can find out the source and cause of why human beings die, and that is because of Adam and Eve's uh, sin against God. Initial, uh, initially and prior to their sin against God, um, they would have lived forever. They had immortality. Um, so, But because of choosing um, and disobeying God um, by the one command that he gave them to not break, um, that is what introduced death um, into the human race. So initially, um, death was not part of the human experience. So guilt over perceived failures or unresolved personal issues um, can complicate the grieving process. Um, There's apathy um, and sometimes bitterness and resentment. These are all typical reactions in this phase um, when you're feeling abandoned and angry about um, the loss of a loved one. Some... um, clinicians in this field say that bargaining with God is also part of this phase, which it can be. We've heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She has stages of grief. Um, There are five that she has has pointed out, although I personally believe there are many more than five, Um, but she's pointed out five. And she says that uh, bargaining with God is also an aspect or a phase of grief where you're kind of saying, Lord, if you bring my loved one back, I will do such and such. Or, Lord, if I do such and such, would you bring my loved one back? So that type of irrational reasoning can also occur during this phase. And then the last stage is actually the recovery and the acceptance phase. Um, So that's the point where the griever begins a gradual return to normalcy and an understanding that this is a permanent loss and there's nothing that can be done to bring back the loved one. And this is a time of of adjustment um, to the new circumstances in life, which can be extremely difficult. And we'll talk a bit more about that as we go. So although grief is a temporary state, the amount of time required to reach recovery varies greatly with each person. And when I say grief is a temporary state, I want to qualify that with one statement, which I I did make um, right at the beginning of this broadcast, and that is grief is just love with nowhere to go. So Looking at it through that lens, we don't ever stop loving the individual who has passed away. So you could make the argument that grief isn't necessarily a temporary state, but rather the result of loving a person who has passed on. And that love is not going to cease. So just keeping in mind that um, although the, the deep stages of grief um, will pass and you will get through that, it's very unlikely that you're going to ever reach a point where that person does not still hold a piece of your heart uh, because more than likely um, that love will be there until you um, pass on into the next life. And so that's something important to remember. I lost my father um, 22 years ago, and certainly my love for him is is still as strong as it ever was. 
Um, the hardest parts of grief um, are past and have been past, I think, within the first first or second year of his passing, um, but the love remains. So just wanted to add that um, as sort of a, I believe, an important piece, an important caveat to that. Um, so while as, as we're talking about length and uh, to reach some level of recovery, um, while some people may need a year or two to recover, others take less time, others take more time. Um, and so in the year following the loss of a loved one, this is typically the most difficult year, you may experience intense moments um, of that grief, especially on certain dates like holidays, anniversaries, birthdays, dates that were very special um, to you and your loved one. And no one other than you can determine the appropriate length of your grieving process. It is not to be determined by anybody else. There are no shoulds involved with the grief process. Um, judgment should not be involved with it. Um, it's very individualized and customized. So it's important for you to take adequate time to deal with your loss. Healing a broken heart is a lot like healing a broken leg in that rushing the grief process could hinder your recovery, kind of like taking a cast off before the bone is strong enough to bear its own weight. And if you try to rush the, the grief process, you could actually wind up with other problems if grief is left unresolved. So some people, because the pain can be so great, they will stuff their grief. What I mean by that is they may feel some of the pain, but they will intentionally or subconsciously push down the majority of their grief. When that happens, that does not, that does not mean that the grief has gone away. It is still there, and it will continue to remain until you actually process through it. I have worked with patients who have stuffed grief for 50 years um, in the loss of a loved one. And, and again, that grief does not just magically go away. It has to be dealt with and addressed and processed. So I highly encourage, even though the pain is, is horrendous, and I know that, um, to not try to stuff it down just so that you can get on with your life. It does not work that way. Um, an interesting fact about Israelites and um, Jews who practice their faith, they will do something called sitting Shiva. Shiva is the Hebrew word for the number seven. So what this is is, when someone dies within a Jewish family, they will gather at a household, all of the family, extended family, et cetera, friends, and they will sit um, and reminisce and tell stories and mourn and weep and cry um, for seven days together as a group um, as they mourn the passing of the loved one. And They'll share meals together and so forth. And I think there's so much um, value in doing so because they're really kind of placing themselves deliberately and intentionally into the position of having to face the loss of that person. And they're doing it together as a community. 
whether it's family and friends together or just family, they're doing it together. So there's that mutual support that's in place, um, ability to cry together, um, to gain support from one another. These are all things that um, I think as, especially in, as Westerners, we tend to think we have to deal with everything on our own. Um, you know, we're very independent and we tend to try to take everything on um, just by ourselves. Whereas, as I, I'm explaining um, what some Jews still do to this day, uh, going all the way back to biblical times, is very valuable for everyone involved and it actually helps to move the grief process forward by doing that. So just to share about how different cultures deal differently with grief and you'll find different um, ways to deal with grief all over the world that, you know, look very different, but it's their culture's way. I happen to find the, uh, the way that the Jews handle it to be beneficial in a number of ways, as I just stated, but the way we deal with grief in America, where I'm broadcasting from tonight, is looks very different from other countries. I think it's important that we recognize that we don't necessarily get it right by trying to just stay strong and carry on um, at the expense of, of experiencing the emotions that come along with mourning the loss of a loved one. So um, with that said... Um, there is what comes along with grief uh, for a grief-stricken person. What might come along with that might be this appearance of that person having lost their faith during times of anger or depression. But don't judge or presume that that's been the case with someone. Um, it's important that we be patient and supportive and non-judgmental or reproving um, towards those who are grieving. So just kind of a quiet reminder of God's love here that when someone is grieving, it doesn't mean they've, they've lost their faith. Of course, of course, unless they, they come out and state that they're turning their back on God. Yes. That's an extreme reason for concern that has happened and it does happen. And um, there is a pivotal point there. Um, that's for another topic, but another, another show but, um, you know, most people are, yes, they're going to wrestle with God, but they'll usually, and they won't lose their faith over it. So just be aware that that can be an element that might on the outside look like uh, the person is turning their back on God. But um, a lot of times that's, that's a temporary uh, superficial element versus something that they're permanently doing. If it's permanent, then, um, and if you're in a position to speak into their life, if you've earned the right to speak into their life, by all means, go to them and encourage them to talk it through with you. Um, but um, as I stated, at, at this point in time, there's going to be a whole range of emotions, including anger at God. So the, the life of a grieving person can look very different, and, and we have to be careful, although not to judge it, to be discerning about what they're, where they're at so we know what approach to take if we do decide to try to help them. What can be very helpful for people go, going through grief? You know, we hear these trite phrases that often cause more harm than good, such as, well, they're in a better place. Okay, if the person is a Christian, yes, they have changed locations and they're in a better place, but that is not usually a helpful um, phrase for someone who has lost a loved one. What I have found um, in 25 years of working with people 
um, in my practice and for those who've lost loved ones is something that I kind of call ministry of presence. Um, This seems to be better than just trite words, just offering to spend time or to sit with the person. You don't have to say anything, but just offer, bring something over, uh, perhaps prepare a meal for them and then just sit with them if they are open to that. Um, And just to sit there and be with them. Maybe pray silently, maybe pray out loud, but it doesn't need to be any specific words because no words are going to make this pain easier. Um, Being with them is what's going to be meaningful to them. And there again goes back to how the Jews, they're with each other during this time. So we trust in God, um, but our trust in him obviously is tested when circumstances threaten our security. And clearly the loss of a loved one is a a threat to our security. And it's at these times that we wonder, is God really listening? Does he really care? Are we being punished for something? Some people will think that when they lose a loved one, well, God is punishing me for something I did 20 years ago, whatever. They may have something in their mind that they've never forgiven themselves of. Um, Or they may think God is just distant and doesn't notice the storm that they're going through. But I want to be sure to let you know tonight that God is completely trustworthy. He does not lose his his plan or his people in the midst of this storm. He, He is ever with you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Integral to his character is his faithfulness, his unchanging qualities, that cause everything to tremble at the mention of his name. So I said tonight we'd be going through some scripture verses. Mark 10, 18 says, God is good. Matthew 7, 9 to 11 says, God gives good gifts to his children. And if we can grasp that God has deep and broad high love for us, then we can grasp the breadth of God's sovereignty. He's sovereign over all. Nothing falls outside of the realm out of God's goodness or his ability to work good from it. So Revelation 21.4, this verse tells us that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And this is talking about the next age, of course, but it's all, it can be also applied, in my opinion, to when someone is going through um, the death of a loved one. And that's really our hope when we're in sorrow that the Lord is there to comfort us. We can also remember that when a person's destiny has been fulfilled here on earth, then God takes them home. It's not a random uh, thing. God is in charge of everything. He's sovereign over all. Jesus was well acquainted with grief. And Isaiah 53, 3 to 4, describes Jesus in, in prophecy as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So surely our grief he himself bore, and our sorrows he carries. Jesus' heart went out to the bereaved widow, as talked about in Luke 7.13, as well as to the official at Cana whose son was laying dying in John 4.43-54. Grief stabbed Jesus' own heart when his friend Lazarus died, and he wept even though he knew he would be resurrected to life. So when um, Jesus' cousin John the Baptist was executed, it says that Jesus withdrew 
um, privately to a solitary place, and that's described in Matthew 14:13. Jesus grieved for his own life and pain in the Garden of Gethsemane, which means the Garden of Pressing, as he anticipated Calvary. So Jesus is intimately acquainted with our grief. And these are the verses I just listed are really good ones to look back on as you're processing through your own grief. Um, Jesus knows that this expression of grief is natural and healthy, crying and um, being able to weep and sometimes even rending garments that was done in the Old Testament as a way. Um, and some people still do today. They'll want to tear something. They'll want to get that energy out um, somehow. And that can be an expression of grief that's very natural and even healthy for a person um, in terms of an inanimate object. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He 5.4. And grief really is a personal journey. Pat answers, like I said, trite phrases do not help people who are grieving. I know they're well-meaning, but they're, they're typically not helpful. Um, and instead of resisting the grieving process, we need to allow for it. We need to allow the grief process to do its work. The pain is not escapable and shouldn't be stuffed, like I mentioned. And accepting it speeds up the grieving process. Not that this is some race that take its own time, but stuffing it delays everything to the detriment of our own health. So when we allow ourselves to grieve, it helps a grieving person to emerge stronger and more compassionate and more fully healed. That happens when we allow grief to take its natural course. Say too that the intensity and duration of grief is going to vary from person to person, as I mentioned. Um, and also, once again, there's no set time frame for this. Grieving is not over after the first few weeks. Some people are very strong and very independent, and they may come across as having come through to the other side after a very brief period of time, um, having lost a loved one. I personally don't trust that that is necessarily a true representation of what has happened. Um, I think people can can put on a face, can wear a mask um, if they don't want to. Grief is not over after a couple of weeks. There's going to be periods of sorrow that will likely reoccur um, in the following months and, and even years. Like I said, the stages can uh, flow back and forth and they aren't linear. And these usually um, gradually will diminish in duration and intensity. However, the improvement will not show as a straight liner on a chart, like I mentioned before. So there's going to be these irregular peaks and valleys. That's all normal. Um, the grieving person should be to prevent him from becoming discouraged and thinking that he's returned to square one. So that's that risk, too, of, um, someone who's grieving and doesn't understand the process, that it's going to be very much back and forth, day to day, sometimes hour to hour, especially in the beginning. So it's important that I state here that a support group, um, a, a class, a course such as Grief Share that a lot of churches offer 
can be extremely valuable, um, especially in the initial phases of the recovery process and even down the road. Um, so there can be relationships that are formed in, you know, these types of grief support groups where the people can support one another and be available to those. Um, and it's not just grief share itself. There's plenty of other um, support groups for the grieving and for the bereaved that can be found um, just through simple Google searching for wherever you might be located. And um, those can be very helpful. So I want to explain to you now um, some of the components in the process of what I'm going to call saying goodbye. The reason I felt led to include grief as you've gone through it, and if you feel like you're you're close to the yes, this did happen, and that your loved one is not going to come back. Of close to final stage of be very helpful symbolically and it can be meaningful and I just want to explain a few elements of what I mean by this so for a Christian who buries another believer we know that it's goodbye temporarily because we will see them in heaven again and as I said before in that sense we can we can see it from the standpoint that they have changed locations. They've gone from being with us here on earth in the four dimensions that we live in, um, length, width, height, and time, and they've gone into eternity, which is timelessness, if you will, to be with the Lord forever. So they've changed locations, and saying goodbye is a way for us to come to acceptance of that fact and also acknowledging that we will be able to see them um, see them again, even though it is an end to the current relationship that we cherished with them. So we can look at the, the funeral or the ceremony, the celebration of life even, some call it, can be seen as the first formal step in saying goodbye. Um, seeing and burying the body of the loved one can all be a healthy beginning to saying goodbye. It's also okay to not want to see uh, the um, the loved one at, at the funeral. That's okay as well. Again, there's no judgments, there's no rules, there's no shoulds with any of this. Um, even visiting the grave site, that may be part of the process, it might not be. For some people, it's too hard. Others, they want to stay there as long as they can. They may come back every day just to uh, replace flowers or tidy up the grave site for the first weeks and months. Um, they may want to be there just to be next to the grave marker. They may pray to the Lord while they're there. They may speak to their loved one while they're there. We know that the the loved, the loved one isn't in the grave per se. Uh, that person has passed into eternity, but sometimes speaking out loud at the grave site can be a healthy thing to do. Um, so this part of letting go um, through their desire to visit the grave that that typically decreases with time, but once again, there's no rule on anything. Um, and to this day, many people will visit grave sites even through if a loved one has been passed for many, many decades. And that's completely their choice, their right. No right and wrong thing to do. Um, writing a letter can also be another important aspect of saying goodbye. 
very helpful to get your thoughts out, pouring out all the words and emotions that a grieving person wants to communicate to the deceased can be so cleansing and healthy. And there's no holds barred. You can just pour your heart out. This can be a letter that you save or a letter that you rip up and throw away. The point is the process. Um, Formally saying goodbye to the one that is left may help in also working through issues of abandonment, working through issues of anger, working maybe even through issues of anger at God. Um, And sometimes even a person who's grieving may consider writing a letter to God and pouring out your heart to him about this loss and asking him for his help in your life. And if we look, too, at Psalms, again, being our our kind of um, uh, kind of milestone marker in terms of scripture for how to process emotion and how David processed his emotion by writing it out. He wrote, wrote out his emotions about a number, numerous topics, not just grief, but all sorts of different things. He processed emotion with God. And so that gives us our example I guess is the word I'm looking for, of a way that we can do this is by writing these things out. If it's in a letter to God, um, usually with David, he would he would begin the letter with pure pain in, in some of his psalms. I'm sorry, not the letter, but each psalm would start out maybe with pain or anger, and then he'd wind up processing through all the emotions. He, he would typically, in most psalms, not all, wind up at a point of praising God and giving him his due worship. So it's just a good example to use um, if you get stuck and you want to try writing a letter to your loved one or to the Lord. It's a good example to read through one of the Psalms that can help kind of get you unstuck and help get your your heart and your emotions flowing. Um, So there's a lot of weeping that is typically involved in the grieving process. Death produces shock waves. Um, feelings run very deep, and clusters of pain can come up. So there's just a number of different sensations that you will feel, not just emotionally and mentally, but also somatically or physically in your body. Um, grief can manifest itself in a, a number of physical ways. Um, things may also feel not real at first. Uh, death can feel like a bad dream, and the shock waves they're not all felt at once necessarily. Like I said, you can take several steps forward, and then you can hit another shock wave and find yourself right back in the valley. So with each step, there can be all sorts of emotional expression. And please don't stifle your urge to weep and cry. Um, don't try to prevent that. That's your body's way of trying to cleanse itself of those emotions. Weeping heals. It's part of the healing aspect. It releases you from pain to a degree, and it's to be encouraged in the grieving process. So there's no shame in this. Tears are God's provision to help bring healing. And there's a lot of studies done on this, actually. (laughs) I don't have time to get into any of them tonight as as I note the time here, but um, Tears are God's gift to us in that it's our way to be able to release our emotions and cleanse our hearts and also in some ways cleanse our body um, in, in certain regards. And so 
Um, we uh, weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. So when we want to be there for someone, as I mentioned, the ministry of presence, it might just be sitting down and if they're crying and and you feel moved upon and you also miss that person, you knew that person, perfectly accessible to cry with them or to cry for them because they're suffering. Isaiah 12, 2 to 4 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the well of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the nations, and proclaim that his name is exalted. So in the midst of your grief, understanding that you can call upon his name, as stated in Isaiah um, chapter 12, as I just read, calling out to him, even if all you can do is just say his name, Jesus, help me, call out Jesus, he's there. He's there the, the moment, he's there all the time. But when you call on his name, know that his presence is there and his comfort is surrounding you. So with grief, there also come strong feelings of despair. It's natural to feel that all is lost at first, that there's no hope, and sometimes that life is not even worth living. People will go through those stages in their grieving process. And this is despair. The piece that's important to note here is that we can't stay in that place permanently. Despair arises when faith wanes, and that's natural when someone dies, when the promises of God are forgotten. The the key here is we don't want to stay in that pit of despair. So as you move through grief, you will come out of despair most of the time naturally on your own. If you don't, however, very important to see a professional or attend a, a grief support group. If you're stuck and you know that you can't get yourself out of despair, which is a deeper form of depression even, that's important then to seek help. Um, a way to recall yourself from despair is the remembrance of who you are in Christ, that you are a child under the power of God. You're called as God's own. You're called to live in God's kingdom. So there's ways that you can help yourself, but sometimes people are in such despair that they can't bring themselves to do that because they're just overwhelmed. Um, and that then feeds the despair because they're not able to remember the truth of who they are. But God is with you, and he will comfort you. And Isaiah, 50, I'm sorry, Isaiah 51, 12 to 15 says, I, I am he that comforts you, says your Lord. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth. He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread fail. For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is my name. So here the Lord is giving a reassurance that as we seek him in the grieving process, we will make it through. There's also the need during grief to talk about the death as you're growing through it. So talking about death often becomes more natural for those 
who've suffered loss. And this talk can be good and productive, especially to talk about memories of the one who's died and remembering them. Um, because when death strikes, things change. What once was a subject to be avoided might become something of importance to be discussed in detail. I've worked with some patients who they want to talk in detail about death, about questions about death, about their loved one, where the loved one is, and that is all helpful and can be healthy um, And in terms of helping the person unload pent-up feelings, exploring the meaning of many new experiences, getting new perspectives. So talking about it can help us take stock of life from a new point of view and say what must be said in order to experience some relief in this process. So the bereaved should attempt to talk about death if they feel able to do so. And amongst those who know the Lord's resurrection, some talk can help bring healing as faith in Christ's resurrection is shared. Um, So just want to read another scripture to you. As I promised in tonight's broadcast, we'd be uh, providing you with uh, multiple passages to help. This is Isaiah 46 through 11. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And then just skipping ahead a bit here. Fear not. Behold, the Lord comes with might. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So scripture provides a lot of comforting verses and illustrations of grief and how God is with us and that he will never leave us or forsake us. And this is the real and living hope. When death takes the loved one, we naturally attempt to reassure ourselves that everything is going to be all right for ourselves and for the departed loved one. Sometimes, sometimes, however, this can be very difficult to do. Sometimes we may, we may not be sure. We may wonder or we may doubt. So we reach beyond ourselves and beyond sentimental things. And this is when we can reach to the Lord. That's when we can really begin to focus in on the promise of our Lord. He says, I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. We do not look for hope in ourselves. We do not look for hope in ourselves. But in Christ, we know that Christ is risen from the dead, and our hope for everlasting life is in him. Our hope is not in vain. First Peter 1, 3 through 8 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in last times. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may may rebound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with an unutterable and exalted 
joy. So continuing on with some scriptures, and then we'll close. Um, some uplifting scriptures if you're suffering from the loss of a loved one or if you're close to someone who is. Remember that Jesus is your bread of life. How do you go on living and doing, especially when you see that life is so fleeting, when you wonder what it's all about or whether it's worthwhile or if there's a reason to live? Sometimes there's too much well-meant advice given, and they mean well, but not everyone is helpful. So take what they mean, sometimes with a grain of salt, but through it all, Jesus promises to satisfy your deepest needs, even when other people, though they try, they may fail you. And at times, such as these, when we're being severely tested and tried, it's often difficult to believe. However, these times will pass. We remember the grace of God in our lives and the love, and we give, our, give ourselves over once again to God, the source of our life. We always want to land on turning to him instead of turning to other things, other maybe false promises, um, other people can help us up to certain expectation levels, but ultimately we turn to Christ for the fullness of our comfort. Um, so as we look at another verse here, um, this one talks about that God has gone to prepare, gone ahead to pre- prepare a place for you uh, and your loved one. And this is stated uh, for believers in John 14, 1 through 3. This is God's promise that he prepares a place for you. It says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ has gone on before you and your loved one through death and resurrection. He has returned to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He asks you to remember that he has gone ahead to prepare a place for you or your loved one. He asks you to recall his promises given in his word for you. And he asks you also to understand and to receive that he is with you always, even unto death, even into life everlasting. So what other assurance can there be than God maintaining lordship over all things, even over death, the death of those you love, the death of God's saints? Rejoice in your faith, giving glory to God with prayer, praise and thanksgiving of love offered to others in his name. Also, God has put all things under his feet, even death. No one is higher than our God. God is your creator, your king, your savior, and your Lord. All things are in God's hands. God's people, the church, and all principalities and powers, he is over them all. And nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. All things are being brought together under God, and every knee shall bow, Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has delivered victory and gives you that victory now, even as you grieve. God will take care of you. I know it might feel overwhelming at the moment because there's so much to deal with when you're talking about the death of a loved one. But please know that God will carry your burdens on his shoulders as you submit them to him. He will be by your side as he comforts you in your pain. He'll never let you down, and he'll never leave you. Grief, it's just love with nowhere to go. Let God fill the void that you carry with his love. 
even as you grieve the loved one that you lost. I'd like to close us now in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for all who are listening to this broadcast who may have lost a loved one or who loves someone who has. I just pray, God, for your comfort. I pray that they would sense your presence at a new level, Lord God, at a level that is so real to them that it's undeniable. Lord, I pray that their hearts would be mended and healed. Lord, I pray that you would restore hope where all hope seems to have been lost. Lord, we thank you that you bind up the brokenhearted. We thank you that you are right here with us as we travel through the grief journey, Lord God. I ask now that those listening would just reach out towards you, Lord God, calling on your name to help them, to carry them, to carry their burdens as they go through the loss of a loved one. Lord God, and if it's been a loss that they haven't processed, that if it's been a a loss that was stuffed for whatever reason, that this might be an encouragement to them that they're safe in you to take that look necessary look back and to come to you with it and to help to turn to you to help uh, that you would help them process that person that they maybe never process their loss, Lord God. This is an opportunity, an open window, Lord, that you're opening up a, um, a season here, a time span where they can process anyone that they maybe failed to grieve for whatever reason, Lord God. So we just ask that for each person, customized, that they would hear a customized message from my words today, Lord God, individualized for each one, that they would know of your great love for them. You are our comforter, Lord God. Your Holy Spirit brings comfort, and we just ask now that that comfort would be ever-present for all who need it, and we ask all these things in your glorious and holy name. Amen. That's all the time that we have left for tonight, and I want to thank you so much for listening this evening. I I hope that this was beneficial to you. I hope it brought encouragement to you as we read through God's Word, His precious Word, and I hope you'll join me again next month for my next broadcast. If you'd like to contact me directly at Healing Word, which is my private practice, please feel free to call 414-254-9862 or visit my website at healing-word.com. Thank you very much and God's richest blessings be upon you.